So as we get into Galatians chapter 3, which is uh, admittedly some, somewhat of a challenging text, I want to begin by just a brief review of the story of the Bible. I know, okay, let me just start very briefly. The story of the Bible, of course, is that in the beginning, in the garden, we enjoyed the presence of God. This was the whole great thing about being in the garden. We were there with God, enjoying the presence of God. But we had to trust Him. We had to live with Him in a dependent, trusting relationship. And we had to be willing to wait to see what God was going to do in our lives. To see what God was going to do for people. And did we wait? We did not wait. We did not trust. We thought... That, we, that there was something more out there, something extra for us, and we had to do it ourselves. We had to reach out and take it. And then we could get the more that God wasn't giving us. What happened when we did that? We lost the presence of God. Right? And, and absent the presence of God, what happens right away? Right? Lies, violence, pain, thorns and thistles, all the troubles that we now enjoy. Right? God shut the door and handed us a bag of seed that we sowed and all that was thorns and thistle seed. It was all trouble. But God also gave us something. He gave us a word. He said, someday, somebody is going to help you out of this. And so we turn a couple pages in the Bible and we come to a guy named Abraham. And so this now ties into where we are in Galatians chapter 3. God told Abraham that someday he was going to have a descendant, that Abraham's descendant was going to be the one that would bring a blessing, the blessing of the garden, back to humanity. In you, in your descendants, all, all families on earth, everybody is going to get blessed. And so we come now to Galatians chapter 3. So be in your Bibles in Galatians chapter 3 with me. We saw last week that Paul is arguing against a group of people, Jewish Christians, who are saying to these Gentile Christians, you've got to become Jews, which kind of makes sense because if we're going to be Abraham's descendants, you've got to become Jews. And Paul says that's completely wrong. Look at your life, Christians. You've got the Spirit of God, and the Spirit is the blessing promised to Abraham. So if you've got the Spirit, you are already Abraham's descendants. You are the sons of Abraham. Because like Abraham, you believed God, you were counted righteous by God, and you received the blessing. So now we come into the second half of Galatians chapter 3. And I think that the questions Paul's dealing with now is the question that probably the Galatian Christians have expressed. Are we we Abraham's sons, sons of Abraham, descendants of Abraham, just symbolically? You know, like I'm a child of the 90s or, you know, you're a child of the 60s. What does that mean? You know, you have an affinity for the way bell bottoms look or, you know, I like flannel. Like, what does it mean? Is it just sort of like a, a way of talking or are we really Abraham's children? You know, do the Jewish Christians really always, are they always going to have something on us? Well, you are the adopted children of God, but we're the sons of Abraham. Is that always going to be our condition? Because we'd like to really be the children of God. We'd like to really be the sons of Abraham. And 
if we can be the sons of Abraham just by faith without having to go through the law stuff, you heard this question here in verse 19. Why then the law? Why is that, have you ever asked that question? Why the law? If we're not, if, if we get in by faith, why then the law? So, to answer this, I'm going to start by telling you the story of the Old Testament, the story of Israel and the law, as told by the Jewish conflict entrepreneurs who are troubling the Galatians. So I'm going to tell you this story from their perspective. They would say, first of all, and for those of you who are not familiar with the Bible and its ins and outs, just try to track along. There's a payout at the end that's going to be very substantial and worth your time. So try to track here. So God gives Abraham... God gives Abraham the uh, covenant promise that someday I'm going I'm to bless you, I'm going to bless all people through you. And then, a little bit later, God gave to Abraham's people, who are Israel, the Jews, he gave them the law by Moses. So they get the law. Now, what's the law for? This is what the Jewish conflict entrepreneurs are saying. This is key. They're saying the law was added so that you know the right way to live. And if you live right... If you live faithfully, God will reward you with the Abrahamic blessing. In other words, the law was a way to not have to wait for God to deliver the promise. The law was a way for you to earn the Abrahamic blessing yourself. Right? So a couple hundred years went by after the Abrahamic promise. Things maybe weren't going the way God wanted. So he gave us the law so we could get, get in on it quicker. That's the idea. And so they're saying that Jews who honor Messiah Jesus and who work the law, who are the righteous ones, they're the ones who will get the promised blessing. They're the true sons of Abraham and, of course, any Gentiles who become ethnic Jews and do all that stuff, they get in on it too. So that's their story. Now here's Paul's version of it, which we also know is the Holy Spirit's version of it. God gave Abraham the covenant promise. But now look with me at verse 16. Notice who he says he gave it to. Now the promise were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. Into your offspring. Who is who? What does it say? Christ. So God gave Abraham the covenant and it gave it to him and to his offspring singular. Now, for the whole history of the Old Testament, we thought that was like a collective singular, like America versus Americans, like it includes everybody. But what we have learned through the Old Testament is that the collective, the collective singular, well, that didn't work, right? That failed. They failed. We all failed. Now, what did they fail at? This is a critical question. What did Israel fail at in the Old Testament? So the conflict entrepreneurs would say, well, they failed at being righteous enough. And so what's the answer if you're not righteous enough is get more righteous, do more righteous stuff, work harder at the law. But Paul says, you're completely misunderstanding the relationship. Look at verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. The law was not an amendment the law was an entirely separate covenant. Look down to verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? 
Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. So the law was not given to Israel to help them get the blessing. That's, how the, that's what the conflict entrepreneurs think, is that it, it was given to Israel to help them get the blessing. Paul says, it was not given to you to, to help you get the blessing. The blessing was going to be given because it was a promise. It was going to be given freely. If you promise somebody you're going to do something, you, you do it. This is what God did with Abraham. It was a free gift. But who's going to get the free gift if not the hard-working Jews? Who's going to get the free gift if not hard-working Israel? In other words, why even the law? Like, what's the point? If, if we're working the law so hard and, and, and we're not getting it, what's the point of the law? That's a great question. Let's look at verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place, we're going to fast forward here, 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. We're going to keep reading. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Here's what Paul is saying. The law was designed to help Israel remember that they needed the offspring singular to come and save them. The law was designed to help Israel remember that they needed to trust Messiah for salvation and that only in Him would they be blessed. Here's how this works. First of all, the law pointed out sin right? because of transgressions. The law pointed out sin it therefore eliminated the idea that you could be righteous by yourself, which Israel hugely missed. But it points out sin. The second thing it does, this is super important, is what did it do with all the people in Israel who were like, I'm a sinner? It said, well, come on in. We've got something you need to see. We've got something you need to hear. Come to the altar. It led sinners to the altar. It then called them to trust the sacrifice, the lamb, the goat, the, the, the pigeon, whatever you put in there. Trust that thing. Trust what that points to, which is the work that God's going to do through Messiah. And it, and it had him do it over and over and over again. This is the function of the law. Reveal sin and draw you to the obvious symbols of Messiah and tell you to trust Him. And do it every year. Do it every month. Do it every week. Come back to the Messiah. Come back to faith. All the time. The law was designed so that there would be believers when Christ came. Verse 22. Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. 
The law was designed to preserve faith so that believers would be there when Christ came. It eliminated self-righteousness and it encouraged faith in Messiah. Law was given to preserve that faith. What did Israel fail at? They failed at faith. They didn't fail at work. They failed at faith. They failed again at waiting. They reached out and tried to take it for themselves. So here's the key truths that Paul is establishing through this story of the Old Testament in Israel. The first is that Jesus is the only heir. Right? He establishes that right, right away. Abraham's promise came to one offspring. That offspring is Jesus. Jesus is the only heir. Because right, he's the only one who truly lived faithful to the promise. He's the only one who consistently trusted God's word. Matthew 1.1 the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And what what does Jesus say to Satan in the first temptation in Matthew 4? Satan says, turn this route. You know, you've been 40 days in the wilderness, right? Jesus is kind of going through the story of Israel. And Satan comes to him in the wilderness and says, turn this stone into bread. And what does Jesus say? No, you've got to trust the word of God. We don't live off bread alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what made Jesus the heir. Because he trusted the promise absolutely and never wavered in his confidence in God. Jesus is the only faithful son of Abraham and he receives, he receives the blessing. We are heirs in him. I want you to see something hugely important here in Galatians 3. So look at this with me. So we're going to read verse 16 again. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say unto offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. And now read verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs, according to the promise. Jesus gets it all, and you get it all in him. Right? When your, family, when your family gets a pool, it means mom and dad got a pool, right? But you get to swim in it. Jesus got it, and we get it in him. This is the message of the apostles right out of the gates. Acts chapter 2. Peter says that Jesus being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father, he received the promise of the Holy Spirit, and now he pours it out on us. This is the message of the apostles. This is how they understand all the Old Testament promises and stories. And so our third truth, our third key truth here is only faith in Christ ever mattered. There's some dis- misunderstandings about the relationship of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what Paul is saying here is that faith is the only thing that's ever mattered. Faith in Messiah is what attached you to the promise given to Abraham. You want to be Abraham's descendants, you had to have faith in Messiah. And what was the whole point of the law? Faith in Messiah was the purpose of the Old Testament law. To preserve faith in Messiah for when God would give him to us. So back in Galatians, far from, like, Paul's like, this is why he's like, he's so, you, you foolish Galatians, he's so baffled, he's so, who bewitched you? Far, far from you needing to become ethnic Jews in order to receive the Israelite inheritance, all those Jews need to follow your example in order to receive the blessings. All the Jews need to follow your Gentile example in order to truly be the sons of Abraham. 
<laughs> it's like the whole thing's wrong. The conflict entrepreneurs are trying to convince you to become Jews to receive the promises. They need to become like you to receive the promises. They need to set aside their works. They need to set aside their trust in their identity. They need to set all of that aside, tear, see that all torn down, be proved to be transgressors so that they can put faith in Messiah and receive the blessing. And therefore, now we come to the end of our passage this morning, verse 25 and 26. Let's read this. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you, Gentiles and Jews together, are all sons of God through faith. Those who have faith, who have Christ, have no need for the law. Those who have faith, who have Christ, have no need for the law. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. A guardian illustration is, is interesting. You think about uh, this is sort of like the guardian was sort of like a, a formal babysitter. Right, so think back on like childhood or for, for couples, you know, think back on your engagement season. Right, childhood, childhood is great. It, it, being engaged is great. Right, it serves a purpose. It, it serves a purpose. There's uh, supervision there. There's restrictions placed upon you, ideally, right? That you're withheld from certain benefits of, of marriage. You're withheld from certain benefits of, of being an adult, and it did, but it, if it does its job, nobody wants to go back to that. Right? Nobody wants to go back and live like a child again. Nobody wants to be, nobody here in this church, nobody in Wisconsin wants anybody to tell them what to do. Right? So we do not want any babysitters. Right? What's one of the most offensive things anybody can do? Don't patronize me. Don't talk to me like I'm a child. Like, oh, you're just enraged, right? <laughs> like, married couples, you want to live like you're engaged again? Like, why? The, the purpose that it served has been fulfilled. Nobody wants to go back. This is what Paul is, is explaining. He's saying, you don't want to go back to that. You want to live in the new and so much better thing. Right? What do you want to do today? What can you do? You can do anything you want, right? Go in, go, you drive, right? Mexico, be there by tonight, you know, see the, you can do whatever you want. You're a grown up. Do it. It's good. Fine. Whatever. Right? But if you're a kid, when are you getting in? Right? You got your bag packed? You good? You, you know, when's the last time you showered? Like, somebody's checking in on you and making sure things happen. We don't want to go back to that. Paul's argument is that simply by trusting in Christ, the Galatians and we today, we Gentiles here today, we go from being zeros in the kingdom of God, from being unclean, ignorant, outsiders, sinners, to going straight to the winner's circle, to being the heirs of the whole Old Testament jackpot, comb through the Old Testament for all the promises, all the good things, everything you want, you got it. This is what you get in Christ. And here is what Paul is laboring to, to prove to the Galatians. And here's what he wants them to do with this truth. He wants them to realize it. That Jesus did it all and the Spirit gives it all. That means 
that if you have faith in Jesus, you have it all. Jesus did it all. The Spirit gives it all. You have it all. Move along. He's not going to talk about the law anymore in Galatians. He's not going to talk about works anymore. You know what he's going to talk about next? He's going to talk about freedom. He's going to talk about the Spirit. He's going to talk about love. He's talking about get it going. Let's go. But there is this. Boy, just Christians are drawn back to the Old Testament law, aren't we? There's this insecurity, this sense of insignificance that we feel like I need something extra. I need extra law, extra spirit, extra knowledge, extra obedience and service or discipline. I just need something extra. And Paul's saying here in Galatians, what about Jesus? What about the, the spirit of the God? Is the literally God with you not enough? The book of Galatians, which is the, probably the first book of the New Testament written, uh, reveals the beginning of the tendency that we have seen in every place throughout all church history to fixate on Israel and the Old Testament and the law. And the tendency among Christians to feel like the more Jewish I can somehow make my vibe, the more law-ish, the better I am. The closer I am to Yeshua, <laughs> the, the better I stand before Yahweh, or however they say his name. I, I think if you can imagine sitting down with Paul after he gets done writing Galatians, and there he is, he's having a cup of tea or something, you know, and you sit down and you say, hey, Paul, I just, I, I want to obey the law. And I think, that we should, I think that we should keep this part of it or that part of it or the, these 10 or 11 things in the law. I think what Paul would do is if he had some of it in his mouth, he would choke on it or spew it. And he would say, Do you understand about Jesus? And Paul would say, Listen, I love the law. I love the law. But you've got to be very careful about this. There is a healthy way to benefit from the law. Friends, I just spent a, a week with a hundred other pastors in the book of Exodus. And it was moving. It was glorious. But it requires a certain measure of care, Paul would say. Uh, for example, I wrote a book about some Christians who got into trouble about just this subject called Galatians. Realize this. Jesus did it all. The Spirit delivers it all. You have it all. Friends, here's what Paul's trying to convey, and I want you to get this. In the story of the Bible, what you have is the whole thing. You're missing out on nothing. You are the children of Abraham. You are the people who've received the Spirit. You have the whole thing, and friends, there's a sense in which kind of the whole thing has been building to you. 
The whole thing has been building to you. You're what the patriarchs and the angels and the prophets and the apostles were praying and sweating to see happen. Are you kidding me? Spirit-filled, believing, righteous Gentiles spread across the world? Do you remember this, this little verse? In I will bless you, and in you shall all the families on the earth be blessed. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord might spread and cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. A bunch of Gentiles in Palmyra, Wisconsin. This is what the whole thing's about. So, this is the uh, kind of the end. Uh, Paul's going to deal a little bit more with Old Testament themes in chapter 4, but, but he's pushing forward into, like, we're going to go with this now. This, this is who we are. This is what we have. Let's go. We have the Spirit. You're free now. We're, we are Christ's beautiful new creation community. What chapters 4 through 6 is all about is, listen, quit messing with the law. Let's live by the Spirit. Quit worrying about your status before God. Live like a freed person. Quit worrying about being in the right group and start loving people from the wrong groups. We've been saved for a reason. It's go time. This is what the book of Galatians now is going to turn us to. You know, I think a lot of Christians, new Christians, newly serious Christians, we want to, we feel like we need to, we want to do something extraordinary. We want to do something extraordinary in order to either truly belong to Jesus or we want to be great for Jesus. That is 100% a good motive, right? That's a good, that's a good thing to want. I want to honor you, Jesus. Oh, give me something. I want to do something great for you. Paul's point is that Christ has done something extraordinary for you. And the Spirit has done something extraordinary to you. And it's only as we believe this and open our lives to this that then something extraordinary will emerge through you and among us. All right, so friends, you came this morning to Galatians chapter 3 with all of your problems from the week, right? All your various troubles. You've been sowing that, that bag of seed of troubles pretty good this week, and you've got a bunch of them, right? And then you come to Galatians 3 and you think, oh boy, well, I guess I'm not getting anything out of the Bible this week. <laughs> Maybe next week will work. How does this help? How does Galatians 3 help? Well, you know... We are we're like the Galatians. We're drawn back to our own ideas, our own strength, our own plans, our own timeline. We're drawn back to law. Law is comfortable. Law makes us feel like a winner if you pick the right ones, right? Like, I'm not a fan of all ten of them, but if you, if you pick a handful of them, like, boy, I feel good about myself. But what do we do? We sow more trouble. So what Paul is saying that Christ is God's reply to all troubles. Whatever your trouble is, Christ is God's reply to all the troubles. And then Christ gives us God's own spirit to guide us through the troubles. And friends, there's nothing else that's going to be transformatively effective. There's nothing better than Jesus there's, this is going to sound just dumb, but I want you to hear it. There's nothing better than the Spirit of God. 
the God's own Spirit given to you, there's not a better thing. There's not a book on the shelf of borders that's going to do better than what the Spirit, maybe if He leads you to that book, (laughs) that would work. The Spirit of God, there's nothing better. And where the Spirit of God leads us, friends, that's where we want to go. That's where we want to go. Galatians reminds us that there are people who want to keep us down, who want to lock us up, who want to hold us back. But the Spirit of Jesus wants to raise us up, wants to set us free, and wants to give us to the world. You know what the Spirit's doing? Replanting the garden. That's what this is. Remember what Paul says at the end of Galatians? He says, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the new creation. The Spirit is planting the garden again. That garden. By the faith of the church working itself out in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Jesus Christ. We are so thankful for the gift of the Spirit. And yet I know that most of us, if not all of us, barely even think about what we have in Christ. We charge about our week. We charge into our jobs. We charge around our family life. We We charge around our our calendar and our schedule as if we were in charge of all things and if we, in our energy and our intelligence, were going to make all these things better and we completely ignore, we live without reference to what you have given us in Jesus. We ignore him. We forget the Spirit. And so, Father, I ask that you would help us this morning to remember to just remember that we don't need anything more to become something better, that we have all we need from you in him. And by your spirit in our lives, we have have your best gift. So Father, pour out your love into our hearts through your Holy Spirit. And spirit work, Help us to remember you. Help us to remember Jesus. Help us to keep in step with you. As you transform us into the image of Christ, as you transform us together into this beautiful new creation community. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.